0: Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business and help professionals like you on your path to long term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact. I'm your host, Sean McIver. In this episode, we welcome Rob Wilkinson, the current customer experience consultant at the Car Charge People with over 20 years' experience in CX and EX in a range of different industries. It's safe to say Rob's an expert and self-confessed CX and SaaS geek. From one geek to another, welcome, Rob. Here's Sean. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. Did I miss
1: anything in the introduction there? Any hidden skills that we should be aware of? No, I think I think you've covered it. I think the sector specific stuff, I'm quite fortunate to have worked with lots of different businesses and I think nearly every different vertical. So banking, insurance, legal, public sector, retail, telecoms, utilities, travel, And now with the car charge people, Green Tech, which is very exciting. Yeah. So hopefully that kind of cross-sector experience gives me a bit of a different insight to maybe people who've got a bit more of a niche background. It really does. And you've primed
0: me for my first question beautifully. So thank you so much for that. Good you have over 20 years of experience in the cx and ex industry can you talk to us about your career path and some of the key moments that shaped your customer service thinking and what i want to hone in on as well is you've worked in the telecommunications industry at vodafone and carphone warehouse and then more broadly consulting and now the automotive industry and in particular how does cx differ between all of these industries and and how do you adapt to the differing needs of these industries or in fact, are there actually standard things that you find across all verticals? I mean that's a big question.
1: Good question, yeah. No, 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 it, it's important though. It, you're right, because you do see these plots, these graphs from time to time, don't you, where it says that this industry is brilliant and this one isn't, or you know, the usual suspects are in the top quartile and, and all that kind of thing. And for me, I've never really found those a very fair comparison so the reason i say that is that the experience that's provided by companies isn't dictated to them by the industry that they're in so there are constraints that industries have versus each other yeah that's true so by that i mean a howling company who have any competition and doesn't charge premium service to their customers, will have different restrictions and constraints on them than a like a premium bank like First Direct, who's got loads of money, lots of competition, and needs to wow their customers all the time. So, there are those kind of constraints, but ultimately, the industry isn't really driving good or bad customer experience. I don't think if you've got um, two banks. With the, you know, good people, with systems and tools that everyone has access to and looking after, you know, a similar demographic of customer, one of those banks can do a terrible job and the other one can do a great job because there's things that they're doing differently with the same tools at their disposal. So when you look at the industry, companies deliver experience, not industry. And I believe, uh, therefore, that it's not industry specific as to whether you're going to get good service or not. At the end of the day, if I'm a customer, I don't care what industry you are in when I ring you up, right? If I ring up my bank this morning or contact my bank, however it might be, and then I have a great experience, then this afternoon I'm aware that I need to ring up my energy company or contact my energy company, then my kind of expectations are what happened this morning, good or bad, because that's what I'm comparing you to. That's what I think is good or bad service. And that isn't industry specific. So I do want my query answering and I want you to do it as, as well as you can. So we should be able to do that really well. It sounds very simple when I put it like that. I'm listening to myself say that. As we know, it's it's not always that simple. But the principle is we just need to answer people's queries, resolve their questions and and do it well. So that doesn't matter where you're from or what industry you're from. Is there a degree, however,
0: I'm going to offer a counterpoint here, not to disagree with you, but just to kind of explore this a bit more. Is there a degree of, I suppose, I don't know what the right phrase for it is, but almost customer investment. For example, if I contact an energy company, I have an expectation of resolving my query. If I'm buying a new car, Or if I'm buying a house or if I'm, you know, something that's a big ticket, high emotion investment piece, my expectations are maybe different there. How would you respond to that?
1: I agree. Yeah. It's like buying a mobile phone is fun. It's a sexy piece of technology and we like getting the new stuff. Paying a bill isn't fun and it's definitely not sexy. Yeah, I get it. There's an element of that that plays into it, but it's about delivering on expectations, customer experience. So. If the expectations are different, that's okay, as long as we are able to understand what the expectations of our customers is and and deliver on it in a way that answers the query. So you'll still have a satisfied customer at the end of that, even if it wasn't the sexy transaction, because they got what they needed from you because you delivered on their expectations. No, that that makes sense. And yeah, I agree. I think there's two elements to it. It's the emotional
0: investment. But you're right, at the end of the day, when a customer is contacting or inquiring, they simply want an answer, whether that's for the brand new sexy iPhone, or whether that's for the, I just want to inquire about my bill. It's still the same technical, you know, I just want to get to an answer. But the journey of that experiential journey, I guess, is a bit different. The key central topic of our conversation today is around how data and intelligence can drive customer experience. And I'm just going to start with the title there, how data and intelligence can drive customer experience. This is, to anyone who's listened to even a few of the recent episodes, this is a bit of a theme. And I just want to ask, to to kick us off, how do you define those two separate, and I note they are separate,
1: those two separate
0: aspects of that sentence, data and intelligence?
1: So data is the stuff that we are gathering in abundance and collecting in abundance and the intelligence is the interpretation of that data for a purpose for me so that's the outcome and the information that you get from using that data for whatever you use it for and this is super important these days you know from a business that's differentiating itself in in this world today they've got to be recognising how important people's data is to them so we need to use data to be better informed, to be able to respond better, to deliver what's expected of us for our customers. And intelligence is our way of taking lots and lots of that data and honing it down into something meaningful to use for, for the purpose of improving things. I want to circle back and and unpack that a little bit further,
0: because I agree with you that companies are more and more aware of how important data is and valuable data is to them. So let's talk about the increase of that data. As a business, as a modern, effective business today, is it possible or how easy is it to be overwhelmed by data? And what can you do to remove some of the white noise and really begin to get genuine insights that then drive, as you said, intelligence?
1: Yeah. So I guess you have to kind of think about how did we get where we are today in terms of obviously the advent of the internet and technology growing so fast has ended up in the situation where data is such a commodity now, I think. Obviously, some of the biggest companies in the world have let us down recently in terms of data, which puts it on our radar more. So I think when you consider the likes of Facebook and Amazon and Apple, they've all been fined millions or billions of pounds for doing something wrong with data. So even the big boys are getting it wrong. And when big boys are getting it wrong, customers are getting panicky, right? Because... They're thinking that if the big boys like that are failing me, then what chance does the small business down the road have of looking after me of data properly? I think we certainly saw a period of time just a couple of years ago, really, where this was really kind of brought to the fore. It was just before COVID. It was round about the time where all these kind of companies were breaching the rules that had come into place. Obviously, GDPR being a particularly recent thing that came out. And basically... We find ourselves, I think, in a situation where there was a McKinsey report around about this time, I remember reading it well, and it said that 87% of customers won't do business with you, something like that, if you're untrustworthy or if they don't, if they think there's an issue with security. So mentioning this as a bit of a background for the reason for needing to be able to do data properly, I can remember having a client of my own around that time It was an insurance business, obviously won't name them, but it was an insurance business and they had GDPR consultants in. They were very conflicting in terms of what they thought was the right thing to do. Lots and lots of data, lots of particular customer data around the interactions and the contact center operation. And they were very fearful of getting something wrong as a business, of course, especially with everything that was going on. But they also had consultants who... The advice they were getting was conflicting and wasn't clear. So that combined creates this fear element. And I remember it well. It was these guys basically, they stopped all the kind of customer analytics, all the voice of customer soft surveys, sorry, they, they stopped doing them. They didn't even, didn't even measure what the customer was thinking in fear of using data for something that they shouldn't be using it for. My point in raising this is you should not be fearful of using data to contact your customers and make sure you're doing a good job. You should not be fearful of using data to do a good job and to improve the things that you do for your customers. Don't be overwhelmed by all of the data. I mean, there's great technology that can help you get around the vast amounts of this data, but you just have to make sure you're doing it in a way that not only is obviously best practice from a compliance perspective, which is critical, but also enables everyone who is involved with data within your organization to understand the role that they've got to play in it. Does that make sense? It does. It absolutely does. And I'm glad that you've actually touched on the
0: security and privacy aspect of that, because I think that that's something that is super critical and we need to be mindful of and got the Cambridge Analyticas of the world. You know, we live in not only a post COVID society, but in a post Cambridge Analytica society and That has drawn people's personal data into the lens and under the microscope. And you look at what happens even with business data. You know, there is so much information out there that is available. And I think that it's a really important point to make. I also want to come back around to what you were saying around having huge amounts of data. And I remember reading some of the passages in Measure What Matters. Which talks around actually know what questions you're asking, know what data points give you the answers to those questions, and that's what you should be measuring.
1: Yeah, I call it data mapping. I probably didn't invent that. (laughs) I say I call it data mapping. Claim it, have it, claim it. I didn't come up with that. Someone's obviously said that, and I picked up on it. I I do that as a consultant. You kind of you you soak up what everybody tells you, and you become like a jack of all trades, master of (laughs) none. But it is it's data mapping. So you're quite right. So. In our world, we do lots of customer mapping in terms of journey mapping. It's dead similar, really, um, just looking at the data, not the customer touch points. So you need to identify all the different points where the data is coming in, categorize them as well. And I think you touched on this. It's um, from a compliance kind of uh, regulatory and security perspective. It's about the need to service. So if that data is data that you need to service that customer, then it's okay to have it and ask for it. So by that, I mean, if I'm going to sell someone a mobile phone, I need to have their address to send it to. And that's personally identifiable information that I'm okay to have at that point. What I don't need with that address is I don't need that in order to carry out any analytics off the back of that interaction further down the line in order to understand whether uh, we did a good job or whether we should do something different. And if what, what so it's whether you need that data to service the customer at the point of collecting it. And then if you did, whether you keep hold of it or not. That's quite a key point. And by mapping out all the different points where you get your data from, you can then flag all the possible missed opportunities for getting rid of that data. So removing it and deleting it, anonymizing it, whatever you're doing with that data, you can map all that out and plan all that out and have a very and have a great big picture of where your organization sits. The next part of this is is the storage of that data. So in the same way, the collection of the data is important. You need to map the storage of it. Where do you keep it? Do you have policies around how you're keeping it somewhere? Is the system or the tool that you're storing it on fit for purpose? And review these elements all the time. That's the key bit because there's no point mapping everything out figuring out where all your data is stored and writing some really great policies and then not going back to them because this world moves so fast. Data and the analysis of data is one of, when you look at artificial intelligence right now, is one of the fastest moving goalposts. And if you're not reviewing your policies to make sure that you're catching up with all of that, you're going to be out of date very, very quickly. So that's that's another part of data mapping that's important. And I think as well, there's a real importance to stress test kind of what model you're using with your artificial intelligence and and, and the analytics of that within your data plan. So without proving that you've done that exercise and tested the algorithms, if you've not tested them properly, then you can't prove that you're not at fault if something doesn't go right or if there's a breach. So the other thing I mentioned, I think, was um, people and the operations and how they use the data so the quick kind of rules around this are access to data that's got to be role-based and there will need to be ways of ensuring that only the right people get access to these tools and this stored data and these analytics uh, equipment And um, the reason that's so important is that i think when you look at breaches of all these things we've talked about so far a third of the breaches that are happening are down to Uh, a member of staff, an insider threat, I think they call it. It's a person within the business that didn't necessarily do anything malicious or either shouldn't have had access to something and slipped up or wasn't trained properly on using something or whatever it is, but it was down to that. So if you restrict people's access to data through the role that they've got in a technical way, that puts you absolutely in control of that and removes any risk. So, yeah, obviously you've got to have procedures in place for governing requests for data, whether that's moving it around or or deleting it. And obviously, when something goes wrong, you've got to have a plan of action, crisis plan. And uh, again, as we've said already, is make sure you test it and make sure you revisit it regularly to make sure it's fit for purpose. And if despite all of this, something goes wrong and there is a breach, act fast. I think that has been not just from a kind of a compliance or best practice piece, but from a customer's perspective. So yes, you've got to act quickly to prove that you've done everything you can to limit the impact of any breach, but from a, I don't want to call it a PR piece because it's far more important than that, but it, from a customer's perspective, I think when I said before about like 80 odd percent of customers won't do business with you if they're concerned over security, that feeds directly into that. So super important to prove When things do go wrong, that you actually, you know what you're doing, that it wasn't the norm, it was mistaken, that you've acted and dealt with it responsibly. That's data mapping, operations, and then I guess the final thing is the systems, tools, the actual tech that you're using. So your infrastructure, how much data you're storing in that infrastructure, whether you've got any kind of applications that customers are using and it's customer facing, they need to be like... Privacy first, coming up with these things. Privacy first sounds about right, yeah. Design it with privacy in mind from the beginning. You've got to balance that with user experience, don't get me wrong, because there'll be lots of UX designers out there who say, no, it's all very well and good talking about privacy by design. But this day and age, it's important and it shouldn't limit how we do things. We have to mix it up. We have to get move with the times and we have to be a bit clever about how we do stuff. So as long as that's at the, the forefront, if it's privacy first, then that'll be okay. And then obviously transparency, like I said, when something goes wrong, how you communicate that, you can also turn that into using this as a competitive advantage. So if you are transparent and you are building privacy into everything that you do and that you're demonstrating that that's really important. And by that, I mean your policies around privacy or even your like your cookie notice, the thing that everyone hates, right? There's a thing that jumps up every time you go on someone's website and asks you to fill in loads of stuff. And, and everybody clicks allow all, right? I'm going to throw that out there. I think everybody clicks allow all. But How you approach asking for that information and putting that cookie notice up could be built into your branding and it could be we're asking this because we care and because it's important and we know that that's important to you too. So please take the time to do this. Sort of things like that rather than just a great big cookie to click a button on can be really important. And I think it's an opportunity to turn this requirement into something positive, if you like.
0: You've opened the door on a whole range of different areas that we can go into. There's a couple of them that I, that I already had kind of lined up. So thank you. I'm going to start by just asking around that data mapping piece, and then you've identified the data you need in order to answer the questions that you want to answer. Can you talk through how a business can effectively analyze a large data set to extract a meaningful insight about a customer behavior, whether that's the tools that they use or how do you go about approaching that? Because I think the challenge for a lot of businesses, certainly from what I've read and seen and from my conversations, the challenge for many businesses is in fact that there's almost too much data, that it's difficult to know where to start. You know, in a contact center, you've got frontline staff who are feeding back information all the time, but it's all biased based on the individual and trying to get a theme or a sense of something that's a broader issue can be challenging. You're measuring a whole range of different metrics in a contact center. How do you begin distilling this bloat of data in this map and kind of going, I need to know where my efforts are best focused. And I think that's a really challenging thing for people to know.
1: I think once you've built that picture up, once you've got that map of all your data and you kind of, you know where it all sits and you know the different pieces of information that you're bringing in, it's at that point you need to try and come up with something that's an objective that you need to deliver on. So there's got to be a reason for doing a piece of analysis or for driving some insights. So... What's the, um, the objective of the exercise that you're about to undertake and use this data for? You may have, like you say, a customer feedback requirement. You might have a, another business critical requirement. The outcome that you're trying to deliver for them is the place to work back from. It's a complex thing. And I think it's something that I think a lot of
0: businesses have a challenge with in trying to understand and really Begin to to take kind of one challenge at a time because you know as as with anything, you can't fix everything at once. And trying to understand how to focus efforts in and get something valuable that almost validates that effort and trying to get to that answer. And I think one of the tools that many people seem to be turning to now is artificial intelligence for example yeah and the ai tools and i guess let me kind of steer down this one in, because we you know this was something else you touched on so in terms of artificial intelligence machine learning there are so many you've got chat gpt you've got you know chat gpt is obviously the biggest and most well known but you've also got google bard you've got so many other companies that are doing something with ai or machine learning have you come across any specific tools or applications that that you've found that can be used to improve CX through intelligence, through intelligent data analysis, or through intelligent automation?
1: Yeah, so it's crazy, like that artificial intelligence is considered this new thing that contact centers have had kind of AI for a long time, you know the self-service things, the bots that we use in small ways it's been around for for a little bit of a while in our industry and i think it's really interesting that everyone's getting so excited about it i think there are some great examples of companies doing great things with with artificial intelligence let's say you've got a business that provides boiler cover service or drainage service or it's 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 the sort of company that will get an awful lot of customer queries a lot of which might be quite simple And therefore they want to reduce the amount of those inquiries that are handled by real people. And this is the world we're moving towards now. It's about not driving people through self-service because it's what the business needs to do for its own cost savings. That's not a good thing. Driving them through self-service for the purpose of giving them a better experience a boiler company will get lots of emergency calls and those calls are more important than your query around a tap that might be dripping and a company like that can use an artificial intelligent bot to do that to make those decisions around what this query is about based on some simple responses from the customer and can remove a lot of those simpler contacts and drive through self-service and what that does is it frees up the people to handle the more difficult stuff so that the emergency calls for that company coming in and you know the the actual you know when storms like them happens we don't want to be ringing up and waiting for 20 minutes to get through we want to get through to someone straight away and get help so if that's the case then using an artificial intelligence bot to send people through self-serve where it's appropriate can have some evidence of in excess of 60-70% call reduction of using these tools. But that's only part of the win. That's only part of the benefit of doing that. So you have also got the granular level of detail that you can then start to get into. So. Back in the day, when I used to work in contact centers as a contact center manager, we would have a handful of skills that we would have attributed to the types of calls, and you used to have to try and get your agents to put the right ones on and not just the one at the top. And it was a it was a very different place to what we're into today. Nowadays, contact centers using you know this sort of intelligence uh, analytics enables you to get hundreds of different customer intents, hundreds of different what we would have called call cool reasons and skills back in the day, that's now far more granular and far more uh, useful, and you can do a lot of stuff with that. An example of that would be talking about storms happening like storm weather. You could use that data to predict an increase in calls when a, a storm's going to come in quite accurately. And you can even predict the different types of calls that are more likely to happen depending on the, the nature of the storm. So if it's going to rain loads, then you're probably going to get loads of calls around roofs and roof issues and wind and that sort of stuff. So that then translates into positive stuff for resource planning because... Those guys are then going to be able to say, okay, we need to react here because this storm's hit. Let's take those lessons we've learned. Let's take that evidence that, you know, stuff have happened in the past and let's apply that to, to what we do to do our job better. So, yeah, that's an example, I think, of how you could use it. And there's, there will be so many variations of that potential story, but that gives you the kind of the art of the possible, if it were.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really good way of illustrating your point exactly. We know that there's a challenge in the industry with recruitment and retention. We know that there's an increase in demand. So you've got this imbalance of the scales. And if it's possible to use AI and ML in a way that allows you to restore some of that balance on the scales, your employee experience improves, your customer experience improves because they're not having to wait for as long. And you can see that benefit affecting both sides of that scale. Scale. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have come to the end of the time that we have available. I would love to pick up this conversation again in future. There's so much more that we could unpack on this. However, I just want to take a moment and say, Rob Wilkinson, customer experience, employee experience geek. It's been fantastic. Likewise. Thanks for taking the time to chat. No problem at all. And yeah, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully everyone listening got a lot from that as I did. And yeah, we will look forward to hopefully speaking to you in the future. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.